Good evening. Welcome to Wednesday Evening Chapel. This feels a little bit more like spring, right? Better than yesterday. Thank you for coming uh, this evening and joining us. It is a privilege to have uh, Dr. Jim Bond, uh, General Superintendent at Moratus. If you can please welcome him. He's going to be lead us. He's going to be leading us this evening in our worship time together um, with some bread, a cup, and a towel. Dr. Bond. Bond. <laughs> and I think I know many of you, and uh, I'm honored and delighted to be here tonight. I've worked at this place. I have served at this place. I love this place. I love the students. I love the mission of Nazarene Bible College. So I'm delighted to be here tonight, and thank you, Chaplain Nels, for allowing me to just come in and take over this service tonight. This is Holy Week. Maybe the single greatest week in the Christian year. And on this Wednesday night, we're going to gather around three very simple things as we come to worship our Lord Jesus. You can see them there. I need not hold them up. Some bread, a cup, and a towel. Three very common, ordinary things that you and I essentially hold in our hands every day. But they are also symbols of the deepest mysteries of our Christian faith. Symbols are important to us. They say the ineffable, things we cannot put into words, symbols say for us. We have many. How about a cross? How about an empty tomb? <laughs> we have come tonight to celebrate the man that came forth from the cross. He came forth victoriously, dead, buried, and then the resurrection morning, gloriously, came to life forever and ever. And he is with us tonight in a very special kind of way. I want us to be aware of his presence because these elements, particularly the bread and the cup, speak of us feasting on Jesus. This is a feast for his disciples. And we feast on him as the very Spirit of Jesus himself, the third person of the Holy Trinity, ministers to our spirit. So, we're going to celebrate Jesus tonight, and I want us to begin by celebrating his presence. Because Jesus, crucified, dead, buried, and resurrected and very much alive, is present with us here tonight. So the chaplain's going to lead us in a song we all know. Surely the presence of the Lord is in this place. And we sense your presence, Lord Jesus, in a mighty way here tonight. And we invite you to just be recognizably present in power, in grace, in victory, in comfort, 
in reassurance as we commit ourselves to you and afresh and anew tonight. Bless these moments and everyone that is here to the glory of the name of that glorious man on the right hand of the Father, even Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. You may be seated. I want to break these moments into three segments, bread, cup, and towel. First, the bread. The bread is an indication to us believers that we are yielding our wills totally to Jesus as the Lord of our lives. The broken body of Jesus symbolizes that body that was broken for us in accomplishing God's full will for his own life. Jesus came right up against the fact ultimately that it would require the total yielding of his will in favor of the fathers, not only in the initial yielding. You remember he said, I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. But also in the continual yielding, the ongoing commitment. He would said the big yes to the father, and now the big yes had to be supplemented and augmented every day of his life thereafter with a lot of little yeses and some not so little at all. Like, for example, Gethsemane. Here it becomes very obvious that it was his decision either to accept or reject the cross. Text is Matthew 26 verses 36 through 39, and the unpardonable sin for a minister. I have so much to, to try to get done in 30 minutes that we're going to show the scriptures on the screen and then not take time to read them. I probably would take time to read them, but I think they're very familiar and most of you are very aware of them. But this scene depicts to us a free man. Jesus was a free man who faced that momentous decision that affected every man and woman who walk on the face of God's green earth, you and me included. Thank God for the choice he made. Here he is saying, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. And the world gasped with bated breath. He could have walked away. But then he said, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. He submitted to the Father's will, and his precious body was broken for you and for me in order to effect our eternal salvation. Now may I remind you that in all things, Jesus is always our example. Even now he is being our model because his broken body becomes an element of communion to you and to me tonight, only as we're willing to break our own self-will before God in acknowledgement of Jesus as our sovereign Lord. I'm very fond of, of Paul Rees, one of the great preachers of the last half of the last century. And he once wrote, the death of Jesus was unique in achievement, but not in principle. Unique in achievement because as the Son of God, he accomplished 
only what he could have accomplished, the salvation of us all. But not unique in principle because the principle is that of self-offering rather than self-asserting. It is the principle of self-giving rather than self-seeking. It is the principle of dying in order to live. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. So it is here that we establish the contact point with Jesus. The bread of his broken body, which symbolizes the yielding of his own will to the Father, and in similar fashion, symbolizes for us the brokenness of our wills and acknowledgement of Jesus as Lord. Do you understand? Do you know what I'm talking about? It is here at the communion table that we really enjoy the meal that Jesus says is for my disciples. In a very special way, it's for us. It's for those who at the very depths of their will have yielded completely to God, made an all-inclusive surrender of all claims to themselves in order to acknowledge Jesus as sovereign Lord. We give away to God the right to ourselves, and until we have done that, communion is without its full meaning. Let me try to illustrate that. J. Edwin Orr's, Orr is a name some might recognize, a very, very well-known man in the last uh, century, particularly, again, the last half of the last century, taught at Fuller Seminary when I was there, and uh, I, I saw him on several occasions. He talks about a time in his life when he was a young man, when his yieldedness to God, he said, was fractional rather than full. Does that describe you tonight? Fractional rather than full. So he was concerned. He wanted to be totally God's. He was trying to yield himself to God. He was praying with some friends one night, and in the midst of it all, he said, Lord, I'm willing to do, to do anything to be surrendered and filled with your spirit. And there came an inner voice that said, and what about your will? Well, Orr remarks that if God had asked, what about your besetting sins, I would have confessed them. But this was different. He said, what about your will? Well, he was taking a correspondence course in missions at that time from China Inland Mission. So he said, Lord, I'm willing to be a missionary. The Lord said, what about your will? There was a certain romance that was developing in his life at that time. And was he prepared to surrender that to God's will became the burning question. He said, with my lips I could say yes, but with my heart I could not let go. And that was the crux of the whole thing. That little bit of withholding was the undercutting of God's will in his life. And only when he was willing to honestly confess that and yield the final stronghold of his self-life to Christ. Only then did God the Holy Spirit release him for a ministry that took him around the world, touching the lives of multiplied hundreds of thousands of people. And he would later write, Lord, take my life and make it all thine own. I want to spend it serving thee alone. Take all my will, myself, my passion, 
My pride I now surrender, Lord, in me abide. That's the meaning of the broken bread, which symbolizes for us the very breaking of our wills before God and acknowledging Jesus as Lord. So I want you to take the little cup that you have, and in the top of that cup, did everyone get to the little communion cup? If not, Janine, bring another one, will you, when you come? I didn't either. I want you to take the little wafer out of the top. Thank you. It's kind of tricky. Make sure you just take that little top piece off to get the wafer. I want you to take that little wafer in your hand now. And I want it to symbolize for you the breaking of self-will in your life in order to acknowledge the Lordship of Jesus. So I ask you to take now the bread and break the bread and eat in remembrance that Christ's body was broken for you and I want it to symbolize his Lordship over your life tonight. Take and eat. affirmation of your commitment to his lordship. Just raise your head as we sing the chorus. So the broken bread symbolizes death to my own wayness, death to what Dr. Greathouse called the ego bias that's common to all of us sons and daughters of Adam. Death to that in order to be alive to Jesus as the Lord of our lives. And now the cup. I want the cup and the juice in the cup to symbolize for us receiving the very life of Jesus himself. The cup symbolizes all the glorious possibilities of life in Jesus Christ to those who are totally yielded to him. Text is in the sixth chapter of John. 
Here, Jesus speaks of his blood as being the carrier of spiritual life, as being drink that is necessary for our spiritual health and well-being. The efficacy of the shed blood for the sins of the whole world was, of course, easily understood by all of us. He became the perfect sacrifice. But in the pouring out of his blood, he became the fountainhead, not merely for our redemption, but for our entire spiritual life, every aspect of our, of our spiritual life in Christ. So the blood represents the very life of Jesus himself, imparted to us. We're not talking about something that is that Jesus puts into us, but we're talking about Jesus himself. Christ in you, the hope of glory. We're not talking about drawing power from Jesus to be holy or to live like him, but we're talking about not just the imitation of the life of Christ, but the impartation of the life of Christ. Very Wesleyan, you know, that's who we are. The impartation of the life of God in Jesus Christ that comes to indwell human personality. Let me try to illustrate that quickly because time runs away in a hurry in a 30-minute chapel. Some of you know the story of A.B. Simpson, one of the great men of God. When he was very young, at the age of 26, he became the pastor of a famous church in New York City and was a clergyman well-known in that city. But while in his 20s, he developed a very serious heart problems. Today, we'd give him a bypass or angioplasty, and he'd probably move on. But his preaching and his pastoral work were done at tremendous physical expense to him. He said, I'd preach a sermon on Sunday morning. Physically, it'd take me till Wednesday just to overcome it. Climbing stairs, even moving up the slightest elevation, caused almost suffocating agony for him. When he was only 37 years of age, the doctor said, you don't have too much longer to live why don't you enjoy these last days? So I went to, to a place called Old Orchard Beach, Maine. I've driven through there a few times, and I, I've wondered, could I find any of the places that Simpson visited while he was here, the hotel where he stayed or whatever? He went to Old Orchard Beach, got a, got a little room. In the quiet of his room, he began to review his life. He was always struggling physically, of course, for even his minimal needs struggling for enough ideas and intellectual resources to write talks and sermons, struggling just for enough love to care for the people around him that he was pastoring. And he said, it was almost as though my creed was, of myself, I must do everything. But he always fell short of his goals. So in the room, he began to think, is God trying to reach me with some kind of a new idea? Is it possible that God, the great infinite God of heaven, wants to become my life? Well, one Friday afternoon, shortly after that, he went for a walk. Slowly he walked out into the pine woods, sat down on an old log. All around him was a thick carpet of moss. You see so often in those main woods, sunlight filtering through the tall pines. Took out his watch. Three o'clock in the afternoon. This is the way he described it. Everything in my life looked dark and withered. The doctors had made it clear they could do nothing for me. Intellectual life, spiritual life were at a low ebb. So there in the woods, 
I ask God to become my life for me, including physical life for all the needs of my body until my work was done. And key, key sentence, I solemnly promised to use his spiritual and physical strength in me for the good of others. Not just to grant longevity to me that I may enjoy life, but for the good of others. And he said God was suddenly present in the woods. Every fiber of my body was tingling with his presence. He had come to meet me at the point of my helplessness. And his life became my life. Wow. A few days later, took a long hike, climbed a 3,000-foot mountain. He said, when I got to the top, I looked down on the world of weakness and fear that was now lying at my feet, and from that time, I literally had a new heart in my breast, new source of creativity. First three years after he was healed, he kept notes about what all he had done. He preached more than 1,000 sermons. That's averaging more than one a day. He held sometimes as many as 20 meetings in a week, wrote prodigiously, lived as vigorously as a man could. He lived, he didn't die after age 37. He lived to be 76 years of age. And among his legacy was, of course, the Christian Missionary Alliance Church. His life became my life. That's what he wants for you and me and every person who walks on the face of this little globe tonight. So here we are, communion service, Holy Week 2012. And the cup and the juice symbolizes for us the very life of Jesus Christ. So take now the cup, my brother and sister, in remembrance that Christ's blood was shed for you and receive the very life of Jesus himself, infusing you with his power and his presence and equipping you for life and for service to his glory. Take and drink. And be thankful. As an old song I asked Jonathan to just sing the chorus to, Fill me now, fill me now. Jesus, come and fill me now. We'll just sing the chorus a couple of times. And I want it to be your prayer, and I want it to be your faith and your anticipation now that you are being filled afresh with the very life of Jesus himself. Fill me now.
you believe you're being filled now fresh with God's Spirit, say amen. Amen. And so, the broken bread symbolizes my complete surrender to God's will for my life, whatever that may mean. And the cup symbolizes the new life that is now mine in Him, so that as He guides, He fills me with His grace, enabling me to follow His leadership daily, moment by moment. But there's one more thing, and that's the towel. The towel symbolizes the simple truth that all the benefits of the bread and the cup are not mine to keep and hoard to myself. <laughs> They're mine to give away. They're mine to share with all of those around me who do not yet know the joy of the broken bread and the shed blood of Jesus Christ. The 15th chapter, 13th chapter of John, I believe it is, should be portrayed on the screen. The very familiar story, the foot washing ceremony. <laughs> I guess in those days, rich families would have slaves that would wash the feet of guests when they came in. But in humble homes where they were visiting, they usually would just take turns washing each other's feet, but on this night, for reasons we don't fully understand, they'd not done that. So they began their meal with dirty feet, if you will, and then Jesus rose from his place, poured water into a basin. As the old King James says, he took a towel and began to wash the feet of his followers. Years ago, I was reading that story in the King James, and it says he took a towel. And I thought to myself, he could just as easily have taken a star. We're talking about God, the Son of God. But he took a towel, and that towel is a symbol of humility. And leaves me saying, if the humblest work of a servant was not beneath the Son of God, then no job is too small for me to do. He who would be great among you must be your servant, must be your minister. Let this mind, this, this attitude, this disposition be the same in you as it was in Christ Jesus, who took upon himself the form of a slave. Wow. Well, just very quickly, I, I don't think the implication here is that we should literally wash each other's feet. That was in a different culture, different custom, different time. I think the significance is in the principle. And the principle has it that if we are expected of our Lord to have the servant mind, then we are to be involved in service to each other to those all around us, not grudgingly, but joyfully, in love, in the very love of Jesus, who is filling us with his presence. 
the towel. It somehow is a reminder to me, and I try to do this daily, I don't always succeed, but it's a reminder to me that somebody, somebody in my life needs me. Somebody I'm going to intersect with during that day maybe needs me. And God expects me to be there to minister to them in love. Quick story, I pastored in Casper, Wyoming years ago, second pastorate. There was a lady that came to our church often, a single lady. Um, almost like a shadow, just kind of in and out, in and out. Never knew when she was going to be there. Had Saturday night prayer meetings. It was a cold winter night, wind blowing in Casper, Wyoming. The wind blows in Casper, Wyoming every night. We had come around the altar to pray, maybe 12 or 15 of us, and suddenly the door came open and here she came. I'll call her Mary. Knelt beside us as we prayed together. We started to leave, each of us getting in our automobiles, and I was the last to leave, so I got in my car and started down the street, and I saw Mary walking along, huddled up, walking into that fierce, bitter, cold north wind. I stopped and said, Mary, may I give you a ride home? And she got in the car with me, and I had enough sense to drive to the parsonage and say to Sally, Mary is in the car, and I want you to drive her own home, which she did. But not very long after I'd gotten home, one of the ladies from the church called, said, Pastor, we saw that you stopped and picked Mary up. And, and we felt badly that you did that because Mary is nothing more than a church tramp. She just goes from one church to the other. And I know she was thinking of me and my reputation. She had me and my interests at heart, to be sure. But I never really got over that night. I left there in a couple of years, went to college church in Nampa. Before we left, Mary came to my office one day and said, I want to give you something. Gave me a box of old, dusty, dirty books. And of course, I, I, I thanked her for the books and threw them in with the rest of my books, took them to Nampa, Idaho. Some months later, I said, I need to go through that box of books. And I found a little book, and I was leafing through it. And there I found a little note. She had written, it looked like she had crumpled it up and thrown it away and then retrieved it and tried to straighten it out and put it back in the book. This is what the note said. I got tired of being lonely. That's why I left the church. No husband, no home life, no nice companionship, just people politely nodding, but no one sharing my sorrows and woes, no one to share my joy. My heart broke, even breaks tonight again. She wasn't a church tramp. We label people. They're not harlots and, and addicts and all the titles we hang on people. Peel all of the way, and underneath they're just like you and me with the same desires, the same needs and drives that we all have and just need someone to stop and love on them in the name of Jesus Christ. And that's what the towel is all about. This is wonderful for me and you because through it we have redemption 
and eternal life. And the towel says, it's for us to share, not to keep, not to hoard, but to share with those, and they're all around us, everywhere. I dare say on this campus, did you read about what happened at Oikos University, a Christian school in Oakland just yesterday or day before yesterday? A man who had been dismissed from the school came back and lined students up in a classroom against the wall, and seven or eight were shot dead, seven, I believe, others wounded in hospitals. Finally, got him into custody and asked him why he did it. Well, he said, I did it because of the administration kicking me out of school and because the people, he was Korean, the people didn't like my broken English and made fun of me. So you never know who's in desperate need even sitting beside you in a classroom on this campus. So I want us to sing as we conclude our service. I've gone over a little bit in spite of trying to hasten. <laughs> I will serve you because I love you. And in your name, I will be your servant and be involved with people wherever they are as my life intersects with them that I may share the glorious good news of the broken bread and the shed blood. Let's stand. And Lord Jesus, we began this service asking you to be recognizably present with us and we've sensed your sacred nearness as we've taken the broken bread and said, I yield afresh my life to you. And we've taken the cup to receive the very life of Jesus afresh. And now we go in the power of your name to serve a lost and broken and hurting and hopeless world around us. And to this end, we commit ourselves afresh through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. May God grant to you a very blessed, holy week. <laughs>